Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Curiosity Unveiled. I'm your host Marie. Today we're talking about healing from personal and ancestral trauma with modern day mystic and shamanic love coach Janice Noahulani. Janice, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited for our conversation today, and I like to start with learning about your childhood, and your journey involves overcoming a challenging childhood. How did you harness empathy as a tool for safety in your youth, and how has it shaped your approach to healing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I... I was from a very rage-filled home, and so by a very young age, I, um, you know, at age 12, I was, I chose to be on the streets because it was just much safer to be on the streets than it was at my home. You know, and as, t- as I've done my own healing, a lot more has come out about my, even prior to that, the, the abuse and trauma that has happened prior to 12, but, you know, we keep that all hidden. So... What I found is, you know, from a very young age, I, I had the gift of seeing, seeing energy, seeing spirits and all that stuff. But empathy saved my life. And, and it does for many empaths, actually. Um, it's, a tr- it's a trauma response that helps you be able to know, to gauge the energy in a room. So it helps you know who you can talk to, who you need to stay away from, who, you know, who you need to become invisible from. You know, and 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 um, what I found, though, even though it saved my life, I found that as an adult, it I it turned it was turned against me because having your empathy on all the time makes me have to work all of the time, and so I never saw a room as safe. I never saw a space of safe. I always felt it was um, that everything was unsafe. But when you look. For things to be unsafe, you always find them. When you look for safety and you create safety inside yourself, right, then that's what you find. And so so through my lifetime as a healing tool, I, I teach empaths how to make that tool more useful, how to turn it off when they need to. Because if when it's always turned on, it's it just becomes that um, your alarm systems are, are always off, on, and and cortisol is always hitting your system, which is a whole nother issue in itself, right? It, it messes up your immune system, you name it. You can do all kinds of things, and it's just it's just hard on you. So through my life, I had to figure out how to make empathy useful, and it is one of my major gifts to help people heal now. It's not only used now to protect myself. Something that stood out to me as you were sharing, you mentioned that no room you entered was safe growing up. What eventually led to your healing journey and how did you learn to recognize what safety looks like? Well, that was a long process of trial and error. And I have worked with countless um, healers, therapists, until finally about 10 years ago, I met my teacher, who's my going to be my teacher for life. I, I literally talk to her every day still. Because when you come from trauma, when you come from a traumatic experience, it, it, it lands in your DNA. It lands in your cells. And it's actually quite hard 
to um, release it out of your system. So it's a daily practice for me to create safety in my own body and, and, tr- and learn to trust myself, right? And I, and I do that through um, my intuition. And I do that through um, trial, you know, lots of trial and error. But now at 52, I can say that I finally have created some safety. And, and, and those, my approach has always been through energetic and spiritual, emotional intelligence, connecting to my soul's wisdom and, 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 and truly forgiving those who have harmed me in the past and forgiving myself and it sounds kind of interesting to say that but you know um in my this might be controversial to some people but in my thought process we we sort of choose our life before we come into a physical body we choose the direction of our life we choose the people you know sometimes our parents sometimes the people who know our parents that's why we choose them and we ask for certain lessons in our life. And from a spiritual, energetic, psych, psychic perspective, I got to see how everyone in my life and every situation in my life was actually pushing me to my own healing, pushing me to know myself more and trust myself more. And going through the process of discovering that and choosing to see it. Right. We we often hold on to stories that keep us in a place of being the victim, of being the one who was harmed. And no one's going to tell me that I wasn't harmed or abused. That did happen. But deciding on what that was going to bring me to, which was my own personal healing and my own strength, choosing to see it that way. I've been validated over and over again. And because of that, I was able to become more whole. And now I could go, I used to be afraid of everything. Now I could go anywhere in the world and by myself and feel completely safe. I trust immensely that the people who come in my life are here for my good now, not for my harm. And that I will know indeed if they are. And if if they are for my harm and if they are, I have choice. I have agency now. And that was just an ongoing process and still is an ongoing process of learning that I can trust myself, I belong here, and that I, I you know, everything I experience is, is for my betterment in some way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a hard pill to chew for some people. Not everyone, not everyone likes it when I say that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about ancestral trauma for a minute. You mentioned earlier learning about the different people in your life and also those who came before you. What exactly is ancestral trauma and how can someone learn about their ancestral trauma? Well, you know, um, there's a, 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 it's kind of a newer study, epigenetics. It's been around, what, 20, even 30 years, maybe even longer, but it's still very new as a scientific study. But what they found is that that at least seven generations are affected um, when a trauma occurs, at the, at the very least. When I look on a psychic, energetic, spiritual perspective, when I look down a timeline, I can see that going farther down. 
and I know that by when someone comes to me, I can I can see a core issue that has happened that is still affecting the person in present time, and they can track it back. I've had many people, many clients track back this information and go, oh my God, it's absolutely true. But what happens is on a cellular level, we, we uh, on a body level, we remember the trauma that has happened. Now, not everyone in that line, this, now this is not scientifically proven, but this is how I see it energetically. Not everyone down that line will experience that trauma. But often, whether it skips a generation or skips many generations, someone is going to work towards healing a trauma. And, and I, it's not always clear why it's that person. Sometimes it's that karmic agreement that happens, that I was there for that lifetime, I'm going to fix it when I come back. Sometimes that's the way it occurs. But either way, we take on this pain to heal it. And the, so, so in epigenetics, in the study of epigenetics, we see that people who experienced, you know, um, World War II for many generations had very similar um, coping mechanisms that were, were not necessary for their present time, but they still had it because of that cellular memory, right? And so healing that wound is incredibly important so we don't have to keep passing it down to the descendants. And it's quite easy when you pin what's happening. Most of the time with all of our traumas and our, and our programs and our patterns and our blocks and our, you know, our energetic um, psycho-spiritual problems, we just have to name it. We have to be willing to name it and look at, look at it. This is like shadow work, right? We have to look at naming it, and then we have to decide what we want to do with it. And most of the time, we just have to release it, you know, let it, let it, let it return to love is really what is necessary. And that's a choice. It's a choice that not most, not everyone wants to make because sometimes we get so validated in the story of our past, in our ancestors' past, and also it's tribal, Right. If we don't have that thing we're holding on to, that that big secret that the family have, we don't hold on to it. Then then who are we? Well, you might have to release the energy of the family, but then you get choice to create who you actually are. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. And what role does forgiveness play in all of that? You did mention forgiveness earlier, including forgiving yourself. Yeah. Do you think it is necessary to forgive our ancestors, our parents, ourselves? And if you do think it's necessary, why is that? Yeah, great question. I, I do think it's, I think if you want to be free, if you want to be liberated and live your life the way you choose to live it, absolutely. Because if you don't forgive the past and if you don't forgive yourself for the past, what happens is, is you, you, the energy of blame and shame exists in your field, which doesn't allow for love to come. Fear and love cannot be present at the same time, you know? It just, it just is a, it's a, almost impossible. So when you're holding on 
to a past experience and don't bring forgiveness into it, what you're doing is you're actually harming you, not them. But most people, I'll, I'll give you a story if you don't mind. Um, I, 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 was, um, I was going through a, a divorce. And in that divorce, my husband at the time, he had many affairs. And one woman particularly was like my nemesis for like 25 years or whatever. She just kept coming around and, you know, everyone wanted to protect me from her. And it's not like I'm a weak woman. I'm a very powerful woman. But for some reason, she'd come around and all my friends would rally like, we got to. Okay, well, I did a soul retrieval at one point. And in that soul retrieval, she came up. And this was like 20 something years later. And I realized that I was making her still wrong. I was holding her like tight and, and was vengeful. I didn't even realize it. I was so vengeful for 25 years, holding her in this position of this woman who harmed me. And she didn't care anymore. She moved on with her life, but I was torturing myself. And in that moment when I saw that I was, I was holding her, like almost like gripping her, like, how could you do this to me? You know, shaking her. In that moment when I saw that I was the one who was suffering because of that, I let go and I immediately forgave her. And not a moment. There was, there was no, I, I ran into her, I keep running into her, it's just, I live in a small town, I always run into her and I have nothing, there's just no feeling in me anymore. I set myself free, but she didn't care for a second, she never cared, she, she, maybe she got off on feeling like I, you know, who knows what was going on with her, but I tortured me and that's what you do when you don't forgive. You don't get free will to live your own life. You continuously entangle your energy in this like mess and that's a choice, right? So forgiveness work in so many ways and, and one way that I definitely do it is through Ho'oponopono, which is a whole ancient Hawaiian art of forgiveness, of healing. And... Um, it has been incredibly powerful. I've seen it help in uh, court cases that dragged out. And all of a sudden I'd come in and we start doing Ho'oponopono. And like within a week, this court case that was like dragging out for years finally just came to a resolution, a, a civil harmonic resolution, you know. And so forgiveness work can be incredibly potent and one of the first steps I take all of my clients through for those who finally want to heal from their trauma because if we're because it keeps us stuck in the past when we don't forgive rather than being right here in the present moment Janice you've mentioned energy work several yeah. times could you elaborate on the concept of energy medicine and its role in promoting physical and emotional well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I love energy medicine. It's been the biggest tool for my own personal healing. And the one that I share, you know, I have clients all over the world. So we are energy. We are not just this human body. We are spirits in a body, which means that everything, and everything is, it's, everything has a vibration to it. So more than anything, we're a vibration. And when you match a certain vibration, 
then you can um then you can uh what do i want to say about that within energy medicine if you match certain frequencies not only can you dissolve energy and i've seen this with me- medical issues i've seen this with emotional issues i've seen this with mental issues physical issues across the board spiritual issues when you match a certain frequency you can not only dissolve an energy that you don't want to have in your life but you can also download a new frequency in meaning that you allow your cells to recognize for instance you know something as simple as love but you can also almost immediately dissolve something as simple or as as intense as anxiety stress right hatred and um what I love about energy medicine is that it's given me agency over all aspects of me. So, you know, I come, like I told you, I come from a really abusive family. Everyone in my family, not my daughter, my nephew's doing much better, but everyone from the past is, has mental illness in extreme ways. I could have been that person, but through techniques of, um, you know, ancient healing arts, as well as energy medicine, cranial sacral work, Reiki, you know, um, therapy. I definitely believe in counseling and therapy from a holistic perspective, getting my physical well-being in check through nutrition. All of these tools have helped me become um, more whole. And at the core of them, the way that I look at all of the, the therapies that I do is I look at them from an energy perspective. Are they bringing harmony into my life? Are they bringing more life into my life? And um, so that's how I look at energy medicine. I hope I, I ho- you know, some of these topics are a little hard for me to talk about, but the, I hope that answered it for you. Yeah, it does. And you actually answer my next question i was going to ask you how both ancient and modern tools have helped you in your healing oh so much (laughs) thank you i mean that's such a good question because what what people do honestly is they do one or the other they're only doing holistic or they're only doing you know allopathic or they're only doing counseling. And I'll tell you, it's an injustice because we're a whole being. We are spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and mental. And some of the best modern um, conversations that are happening right now are the conversation of regulating your nervous system and emotional intelligence. This is incredibly important, especially for empaths. Because what happens is is when you're such a feeling person, when you lead with feeling only, you it's not always something you can trust. When you begin to, you know, harness the wisdom of your mind and your emotions and your soul, you start to see where the illusions lie. And so empaths tend to be like, I'm so sensitive or I feel this way and push people back. And they don't allow love in actually, because they're always protecting themselves. And, and this, is, this is the game changer for me, is when I really took my how I was projecting my emotions onto people. 
how I was protecting me, myself from emotions. That was so important. And so the, the conversation about regulating our nervous system through breath in itself or, or sitting still, just sitting still and not having to believe all of our thoughts. These are, I think, more modern day conversations. Um, each one of them has their own imbalance, but when they're brought together, that's when magic happens. And, and they've been crucial in, in my own healing. I've been, I've been blessed to be able to have these conversations with people. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that we are doing an injustice if we only pick one type of healing method and that trying different things and figuring out what's best for our recovery can really change the trajectory of our lives. So speaking of injustices and misconceptions, I was curious if you could share what are some common misconceptions or myths about psychic abilities and how do you address them? Yeah, well, one, everyone is psychic, but we grow up um, and we close that down because it's not always safe to just let our psychic abilities go flying free because, you know, people are sort of categorized as freaks when they see things or hear things or blah, 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 blah. But when, when I work with pretty much anyone, everyone has a gift and they come out very differently. Um, most people think, oh, I just have to see it. And that means I'm psychic. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Some people have to hear it. Some people um, feel it through their body. Some people see colors. And a really popular um, clairvoyant channeler, Esther Hicks, I don't know if you know her. Do you know her? She, did, she does Abraham. She's a super popular. Her, yes. Yeah, she's super popular. Well, her psychic ability came from noticing that an energy came into her body and moved her nose around to write words. And so who would have ever freaking thought about that, right? <laughs> so that's one of the myths, you know, uh, that, that the only way you know you're psychic is if you see. But every single perfect person is psychic. The other thing is, is that um, most people... Now, there's a difference between intuition and psychic abilities, too, and people get that crossed. Psychic abilities are where you can actually project energy through space and time. So I don't have to ever see someone in order to be able to help heal them or give them information about how to help them heal themselves, which is my actual best gift. My gift is to help people heal themselves, know how to do that and to listen to their own wisdom. So I'm not the type of psychic that just does readings, right? And that's, I, I hate that, actually. <laughs> I feel that it's like, I don't think that we should ever disempower people by that because the only, the, we see what's in the moment. And if we try and project in the future, it's just not fair because it, it's not always accurate. A million things could happen between now and five minutes from now. So um, that's not the type of psychic I am. And intuition is that internal um, like voice that guides you, that you can trust in. However, most people mix their emotions with their intuition. And you can't always trust your emotions, right? And when you don't know the difference, then you can't trust your intuition. 
quote unquote, right? So that's another myth. How can individuals discern between their intuition and their ego when navigating life decisions? Yeah, so so I have an interesting uh, thought around the ego. The ego to me is actually our friend. When we uh, what the when the ego becomes toxic or something we can't trust, it's when it's disembodied. It's not embodied. We're not we don't have agency over it. The ego is one of the energetic um, aspects of our being that um, actually can manipulate our highest self. And our highest self is our mediator to source, right? We hear that word, the highest self, a lot in AA and different places like that. But it, it's literally a part of our energetic body, our spiritual body, that that talks to source. But our ego, when it's out of our body when it's not embodied can manipulate and 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 create lots of havoc in our whole system the key that's this is why this is why um presence meditation is incredibly important for anyone who's trying to decipher their information one thing i would say and, and, and this is not when someone's in a state of absolute trauma and despair. But when, when you're settled, when you're settled and you have your resources in place, to for a little while just stop getting input. Slow down. Come back to your heart. Do your meditation. Get grounded. All of these things. And just come to this present moment. Come to your breath. And when you, at first, it feels terribly uncomfortable to most people, but then you build on it. Everything is a practice. And as you build upon that, you will be able to start recognizing your own voice. And it it happens first in, in presence, in silence. And the reason why it's very difficult for people is because we are always getting input. You know, we don't, we don't give ourselves a chance to sit down, have a conversation, and then have silence. No, we're like having a conversation, having a meal, watching TV, listening to the podcast. You know, like we're doing all these things all at once. So this is, this is by far the easiest way to begin to recognize your own wisdom. Now, um, if someone's having a hard time doing that, then you reach out to someone like me, right? (laughs) Because that's my whole job is to get you to know your voice, know your wisdom, know your intuition. And it it really is tricky because part of this process, many would say, would, would start going down the path of a spiritual awakening. And a spiritual awakening is not easy spiritual awakening you have to face your illusions and we have many of them and they're quite painful most of the time because we have to look at what we've created in our life so so it's it's i wish there was an easier way to say it that might be the easiest is just come to presence come to your breath come to silence and be willing to hear your own voice and nothing else, and then trust it, and then seek help. (laughs) 
I love that. Mm. It, it's so true that we need to be able to learn how our own voice even sounds like. I remember when I was first told that concept about having my own voice, I realized mm. that the voice in my head was my mother's voice. I heard her all the time. And if I wanted to choose A instead of B or option C, if if her voice said option C, I would go for option C, even if I wanted option A. Right. And so making that distinction, oh my goodness, it's it's very empowering for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and you're not alone in that. But it's powerful that you started to recognize it because that's it, right? We just have to begin to name what's happening. And, and then that's empowerment. Good work. Exactly. Thank you. Janice, thank you so much for joining me today. I know a lot of our listeners who are abuse survivors, I'm sure, have benefited from our conversation. Could you share with everyone how they can connect with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, my website is uh, JaniceNoeHulani.com. It's spelled exactly like my name. And um, if, if your listeners reach out to me via email, info at JaniceNoeHulani.com, there is a way to get just a free time to speak with me and, you know, to see if I'm a match to help them or if I could set them up with someone else to help them. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much again, Janice. Yeah, thank you. This concludes another episode of Curiosity Unveiled. Remember to stay curious, stay objective, and I will see you in the next episode.